Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store with the Squarespace commerce feature. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK7. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club, it's a challenge. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. To face your first challenge and find out more, head on over to trekfan.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of our latest show, Warp 5. I'm Christopher Jones, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, a voice many of you are familiar with from elsewhere on the network, coming to us from a land down under, and I promise I'm not going to start playing Men at Work or Olivia Newton-John or any of that stuff. It's Kate Walsh. Kate, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks, Chris. (laughs) And hello, everyone that's listening today. Were men at work actually ever popular in Australia? Oh, geez. I think men at work were actually one of those Aussie bands that were more popular in retrospect than anything else. Yeah. um, Kind of like Crocodile Dundee, laying down under all of that (laughs) stuff. Uh, (laughs) But no, (laughs) I don't know if they were popular in reality. It was all really a myth of popularity. All right. Well, uh, that's good to know. I've I've always wondered, you know, growing up in America in the 80s and, you know. I mean, we do like to walk around saying that's not a knife, this is a knife, but other than that. I think Andorians like to do that too, don't they? Except it's, that's not an ice cleaver, this is an ice cleaver. (laughs) (laughs) Or, well, then you've also that's that's not a phaser, this is a phaser. (laughs) All right, well, let's jump into this show here, everyone. Warp 5 is going to be joining To the Journey and the Orb as part of our family of shorter shows that focus exclusively on one series. And as the name suggests, this show is going to focus on Enterprise. Kate and I are both big Enterprise fans. We're both very glad to see that a lot of Star Trek fans who never watched Enterprise are getting back into the show now that it's available on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on Hulu, on Blu-ray especially. And so we are really looking forward to talking about this show with everyone each week. Now, Kate, you know there are a lot of shows that are episode rewatch shows where We'll sit down, we'll watch the episode, and then we'll just take you through Act 1, 2, 3, 4, straight through. But that's not what we're going to do here, is it? No, I mean, what we're hoping to do with this show is to talk a little bit more in depth about the, the, the themes, the issues that come up in Enterprise, the 
to talk about the bigger issues about the show and what we can take from it as a whole, what's important, um, if that's characters or different um, uh, different species, different elements that come up within it, and, and to really contribute a more meaningful discussion than simply a straight-up episode review. That's right, yeah. And we're going to have fun too. You know, we're going to find out why you shouldn't feed Porthos cheese. We're going to find out why Phlox keeps bats in sick bay. You know, we're going to we're gonna get into the fun nuts and bolts of, of Enterprise as well, but we're going to be jumping all over the series. We're going to talk about... And why it's really important to decontaminate. It is very important to decontaminate. Not only the humanoid members of the crew, but also the canine members. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you really don't want infected fur running around the ship. And if that means you you've got to have a little don't. saucy time in the decon chamber with your beagle, then so be it. <laughs> that's how they, 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 they played it, you know. It's a, you know. It's not a sexual thing. Look, yeah, I know, I know he's rubbing uh, oil on T'Pol's back. But look, she's massaging Porthos's back, you know. It's, it's a bit of give and take, isn't going it? going on here. It is. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about all the different aspects of Enterprise on this show. But before we get into the minutiae of Enterprise, we're going to kick things off with a look at the launching of Enterprise, the series, not the ship. Although we're going to be launching the ship as well. And to help us do that, we have a special guest with us, associate producer from Enterprise, Dave Rossi. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we're glad that you're here. So, Dave, I think we all, depending on how long we were watching Star Trek, went into Enterprise with kind of a different view of what the next series might be. And, you know, we remember how Voyager was wrapping up and there was all this fan speculation about what was that next series going to be like? And the two things that I remember most are fans who wanted an Excelsior series starring George Takei and a lot of talk about a Starfleet Academy series. And of course, then it came out of the media from the studio that we were going to get a prequel series. But Dave, you were involved from TNG all the way through the end of All Good Things. And so for you personally as a fan, what were your you know, expectations? What did you want to see going into this new series coming after Voyager? Well, I think that uh, we had spent so much time in the 24th century with next-gen DS9 and Voyager and that entire aesthetic. I, I naturally assumed that we were going to move forward, that there, we were going to do something beyond those years. Um, I, you know, we were all plugged into the fan base, so I, it was obvious that people, that I think the heavy money was on a Starfleet Academy. I know people wanted the the Excelsior story. I don't, I don't think yeah. that was ever going to happen. But uh, I wrote an article about the Starfleet Academy when I remember at the time, and it was called Saved by the Bill. <laughs> because Star, Star Trek Saved by the Bell, something like that, because I was just picturing it becoming like a kind of a teenage drama show. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Starfleet Place, yeah, I think was the thing that's we called it. Um, but yeah, it, you know, the idea of, there was, I think there was talk 
maybe about doing something with Wesley and making it, uh, you know, I, I, there were a lot of ideas were tossed around. Um, I don't remember exactly when I heard what it was, but I remember Rick calling me into the office and saying, um, so I think we've got our next idea. We take the word Star Trek out of the title. It's just called Enterprise, and it's about the very first Enterprise. And immediately I thought that this is going to be brilliant. That is a, that's a fantastic idea. We have this enormous chunk of time that has never been discussed uh, in Star Trek, and that is what led up to the Federation. So I, I thought it was a great, I thought that it was good, you know, I thought it was a great idea right from the get-go. It was very exciting. Now, Kate, you, on the other hand, you had seen TNG DS9 Voyager, but not the original series. And so this is going to be a prequel series leading up to Kirk and Spock's time. But but at the time that you had watched Enterprise, you weren't really familiar with Kirk and Spock other than, I'm sure you know you know their names, right? But you hadn't seen the series. So, so what was it like for you going into a series when it was a prequel to something that you hadn't really seen yet well i guess for me my star trek experience had been very gradual i've watched uh, the next generation as a teenager so um i built up from that that was my foundation um and then through friends um i've been slowly introduced to voyager then ds9 and then right at the end of that uh, someone mentioned to me about this prequel series called enterprise and um whilst as you say, it's ultimately a prequel to the original series. Um, it, it's, it was still a foundation for everything else that um, that I had seen in Trek so far, so I was quite interested to see that. And um, I was probably quite fortunate in that I didn't have too many expectations of it. And, and I don't know that I'm, I'm that uh, unique in that. I think there are a lot of Trek fans around nowadays who have watched Trek later in life who mm-hmm. haven't seen the original series, who are yeah. still discovering Trek for the first time. And and I, mean, I talk with, with people quite regularly who are still seeing Voyager for the first time or Deep Space Nine for the first time. And so um, these are, are fans that, um, you know, who may not have even ever watched Enterprise so far and who can get the same kinds of things out of it that I have, um, which right. is coming into it as a, a completely fresh Trek series and something to enjoy from scratch and with, with very few expectations. Now, Kate, may I ask, have you seen a lot of the original series since any of this has happened? I have seen the original series since I've watched Enterprise. And what's your, what is your, did you have a different spin on Enterprise before and after you saw the original series? I've watched Enterprise again since I've seen the original series. And it's added the most value in watching season four, where we get a lot of the mini arcs, the work that Manny Cotto contributed to the series. That's where I've seen the real value in watching those two series together. And familiar races that you yes. saw in the original series referenced more. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. something I was wondering too. Yeah, did your impression change after watching TOS? And so, Dave, that leads me to this, which is that I'm with you. When I heard that it was a prequel series and it was just called Enterprise, I also thought it was a brilliant idea. And I definitely, as a fan, wanted to have that back history filled in and find out 
you know, how did we get to the United Space Probe Agency and <laughs> the Federation? But, you know, the as much of a prequel series as it was, it felt like the first and second season felt like a very different type of prequel series than the fourth season. And I think the fourth season is what most fans wanted in a prequel series. Although I personally really love the first season. But See, what was your take because, on it? Uh, well, I, as, uh, as writing goes, I love the episodes that Manny did in the fourth season. Mm-hmm. It's not the creative direction I would have gone. I, I can watch the original series and see an episode about the Organians. I don't need to see that. I, it, to me, those episodes, tying things together like why the Klingons have bumps on their heads and why, I mean, uh, uh, it's for me, especially like introducing the Organians, even some of the Romulan stuff, um, I felt like I already know that stuff. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I don't need you to tell me how we get to the Organians. I can watch that episode of the original series, and and I'm there. I was more... I, I wanted more... Uh, I wanted more stories about what led us to the Federation, what led us to, to these things. Not necessarily what led us to the story arcs that happened on the original series... Right. But more what led to the ideal of the world most people live in. And I think, you know, if we would have gotten a, another order for more episodes, I think we could have gone there. And again, it's not I'm not I'm not trying to disparage what Manny did. The episodes are really fun. Um it's just not the way I would have gone. I, I would have preferred to kind of leave that original series stuff alone and just tell us new yeah. stuff. With the twist that you get towards the end of the fourth season where you get the Romulans, like in the Vulcan arc, and, and you find mm-hmm. out, um, well, actually, when you get like to the Anar, for example, and you've got the Romulans who are involved, and you, you feel like they're building up towards something that might lead us to the Romulan War, which is what a lot right. of fans kind of wanted to see play out on the screen. Mm-hmm. Were you interested in seeing the Romulan War play out? Absolutely. I think yeah. it would have been great. Um, yeah, the, you know, it's hard to tie all this together. You have to step on some toes. Uh, so, you know, for instance, if you watch Balance of Terror, there's a lot of reference, specific references made to things that I don't think we necessarily, I mean, we did our best, certainly, to try and tie all that up as neatly as possible. But it would have been hard to do, you know, no visual transmissions. No, that would have been stuff that would have been hard to do. So, um, even if the Romulan War would have been more of a background thing that maybe the Enterprise wasn't directly involved in, but the Enterprise was on special missions as the war was going on or something, I think we, I think something could have been done to do it. And I think it would have been really, really interesting to, to see. Um, you know that that the stuff in the past just held such promise to show such mm-hmm. diverse and wild stuff, especially when you think about. You know, by the time Captain Kirk is going out there, these these starship captains are trained. They're you know, uh, 
they have experience to fall back on based on people who've gone before them. This is a whole new ball of wax, boy. This is mankind out in space meeting new races for the very first time. And there's just something really exciting about that. That's interesting that you say that, Dave, because that's the thing that, that most captured my imagination about Enterprise, is that early space exploration, the seeing new races, new planets for the very first time, and that's the stuff that got me excited. And so my very favourite seasons of Enterprise are season one and two. And I know that the, the, the work that Maddie Koto did is, is brilliant and it's loved by a lot of fans, but there are different groups of fans who are looking for different things from Enterprise. And I think that that was much of the controversy around the series, is those different expectations. And I think that always happens. I, you know, when Deep Space Nine launched, there were people for it and people against it. When Voyager launched, there were people for it. It's, the, the, the fan universe is so, um, you know, it's a stained glass window of just all these diverse things that people want or get from a show. So many people have so many different, you nailed it, Kate, just they, they, they need different things from the show. They want different things from these shows, and there's simply no way to accommodate that, or you just, it would be awful. I mean, you would just have this kind of weird uh, pattern of, <laughs> of ideas. So, you, you, you know, when you're creating these shows, you have to kind of stick to one thing and go with it. Now, it's interesting that the shows, the seasons evolved over the years into different things. Like, for instance, the Suleban, that whole Time War thing, that was a studio directive because right. they felt that you have to have some kind of tie to the future. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a funny side story. Uh, the, there were two women who were uh, in charge of the... Uh, licensing division, consumer products division. And when the idea came out that we were doing a prequel, they had me to lunch. Because a, one of my positions on the show, aside from being my associate producer position, I dealt with uh, second unit shooting and insert shots and things like that. But I had a whole other role for years before that uh, that was interfacing on Rick's behalf with all of these divisions at Paramount. And so they, you know, I had uh, meetings with them once a month, all these different divisions on the lot to see what they were doing with Star Trek and, you know, were they treating us kindly? Were they not putting the Enterprise on toilet paper and condoms? And, you know, uh, <laughs> so I, I had this lunch meeting with them and they said, well, we understand you're doing a prequel and we're wondering if you would ask Rick if he could make it about the future so we could do new toys and new uniforms and new... And I said, wait a minute, guys. You want me to go to the creator of this show and tell him that you would rather he not do a prequel so you can sell more toys? Now, obviously, that's a, that may be a very smart business decision <laughs> for the licensing division, but it's something that just can't happen. And so... It was interesting that there was a whole faction of people that were like, no, a prequel, we've got to keep moving forward for the business aspect of it. We, you know, at every turn when the studio ordered a new show, Rick always pushed back and said, guys, we should not do this. We should stop. 
It happened with Deep Space Nine. It happened with Voyager. Let's not, you know, I mean, the ratings for Next Generation were through the roof. It was so popular, and it's, you know, by the sixth season, it was just like on fire. Seventh season was crazy. Uh, so it was really, you know, they just kept wanting to go to that well. Now give us another one. Now give us another one. Now give us another one. And and to Rick's credit, every time he pushed as hard as he could, and then they said, you know, we'll just get someone else to do it if you don't want to do it. That's fine. You know, and he was like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And um, it was interesting with Enterprise because that was the first time in any real way we had network involvement for the network was UPN at the time. Mm -hmm. And because of the popularity of Next Gen and, and down the road, the studio side really left us alone. I mean, they, look, we were making them money hand over fist. The shows were very popular. And so we had kind of a free run, which is very unusual. Um, and we were syndicated, which helped. There was no network attached. So this was the first time a network was attached. Um, but they had a lot of notes and a lot of uh, ideas. And, and it's interesting to see how the business mind works when it gets to these things. I mean, there was a meeting early on where, the, at the time, the head of UPN met with us and said, Hey, you know that room where they eat, and yes. uh, you know on the ship, and we were like, yeah. Well, what if every couple of episodes, when they're eating there, there's a band playing, like <laughs> like a boy band or like a you know there's some kind of band playing. And at that point, you real you know you 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 look at them kind of slack jawed like they have lobsters crawling out of their ears, but you <laughs> you know you. you you don't you realize at that point they don't understand the concept of the show or they just don't care about the concept of the show. Their point was there are a lot of TV shows right now that are tying music into their TV shows from real bands, and so there's it's a marketing tool. You know, Dave, we're, we're lucky with UPN that in the third and fourth season of Enterprise, they didn't want to do the unveiling of you know which model was being voted off top model in the mess hall. <laughs> Each week. <laughs> I think we're just lucky that we didn't end up with the Archies on Enterprise. <laughs> I mean, you, we laugh because now it's funny, but back then it was horrifying. I mean, it was scary. It was, it was yeah. like, because, you know, if they really wanted to push and make us think about it, they could have done it. But, you know, we had to very nicely explain to them. You don't understand, we, we're not anywhere near where we can pick up bands every week. Right. Well, let's not forget that Seven of Nine wrestled the rock on that's Voyager. true so we know that's true. it can happen um and going back to the launch of uh well now actually i'm thinking of voyager here uh not enterprise but i'm glad they never did like a platypus man voyager crossover if you remember the show platypus man which helped yeah. launch upn alongside voyager which lasted what <laughs> like six episodes <laughs> You see how it works? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was obviously lucky enough to miss that in Australia. You were lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, uh, aside from that business aspect of it and the, the studio network side, you also have, you know, fans who want their own thing and everybody wants different things. And, and I imagine that goes with everything. I mean, if you're a, a Buffy fan or a... I mean, a 
Firefly fan or you know whatever you whatever it is, um, there are different aspects of these shows that captivate you, and so you you have this crackliture of uh, of different wants and needs from the fans, but you just you can't you just can't make a show that way. You have to make this it is, the way you want to make it. This is the thing, though, Dave. The thing about Enterprise is it struck me more than any other show that, I mean, we see a tension between the preferences of Voyager fans, for example, and Deep Space Nine fans. And when I look at Enterprise and I talk to people about it that like both Deep Space Nine and Voyager, there are elements in Enterprise that seem to unite both of those fan groups. Um, and a part of that is because the, the four seasons of Enterprise, the feel of it changes, the level of um, continuity, the, the length of the arcs changes, you know, as we go through those different seasons. We go from quite episodic television early on and to, to these series-long arcs and then the mini-arcs in season four and um, different levels of character development as we move through the series, and it really seems to unite Star Trek fans at, at different points and and I've wondered whether Enterprise was trying to appeal to too many people to too many different types of fans well I don't think there's a I don't think there was a conscious decision on our part to you know when when we make these shows we we make them you certainly the fans are what are the fuel that fires the show, keeps the show on the air, but you, and you're making the show for the fans, but in a lot of ways you're making it for yourself. There was no analysis of what made DS9 popular or what was it about DS9 that the fans loved most and what was it that fans loved most about Voyager and how can we bottle that and kind of disseminate it out through Enterprise. It just does, that's just not the way it works. Um, you just, you know, you just kind of sojourn on and do it the way you're going to do it. I mean, it's interesting when you see the, you know, the whole seasonal arc with the Zindi is a complete change from the first season, which is a complete change from the fourth season. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. we weren't trying to unite the fans. We were trying to, to, um, give the fans something they would enjoy and inspire new fans from showing up. But I, I don't think there was a conscious effort to to unite them based on their kind of, you know, the war between the the DS9ers and the Voyagers. <laughs> right. Uh, of which there is, you know, even today. But what's interesting about Enterprise is, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you know, on the Internet especially, the angry voices are often the loudest. Uh, and so that's what you kind of take away because they're, you know, these uh, people are more apt to go online and say they hate something rather than go online and say they love something, I think. Uh, or at least it's a, a stronger message because it's so negative. And there was a lot of that going on when Enterprise first aired and through the run of the show. I mean, obviously the network canceled it after season four. But it's interesting that today... I uh, I talk to fans who are now kind of rediscovering Enterprise and watching through it again. 
Right. And they're saying, you know what, that wasn't so bad. That was a pretty good show. And it's, so it's interesting to see how that has changed over the years from uh, when people originally saw it and, uh, you know, because they wanted whatever they wanted at that time. But, but looking at it now with no Star Trek on the air with fresh eyes, it's, uh, it's interesting to, to see that they have a different take on it. Exactly. I think so many fans, they wanted a continuation of the 24th century and they didn't get that. And then they also, you know, they, the characters weren't using the transporter. They were shooting like actual rockets instead right. of phasers and which I thought was all pretty cool. I mean, we, we have to get from here to there just like the song that everyone hates says. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I thought it was great. I mean, creatively, I thought that that Rick and Brandon had a great concept. And I loved the fact that it didn't have Star Trek in the name because it's not the Federation yet. You know, it's not right. Starfleet yet. They're starting out. It makes sense it wouldn't be in the name. But, but, you know, fans, it wasn't what they wanted at the time. And so a lot of people tuned it out. And I think that now, thanks to Netflix uh, here in Japan, it's Hulu that uh, carries Enterprise on on demand. And of course, the Blu-rays mm-hmm. are coming out. And so many people are able now to sit down and, you know, just like in a two-week period, just watch an entire season. And they're finding out that, hey, it's actually a really good show. Uh, Scott Bakula is a great captain. You know, the character, it's, it has a great cast, has good writing, and people are discovering that finally, which which I'm happy yeah, to see. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, look, it's a much different show than what, than all the Star Treks that came before it. I mean, it is kind of a a weird hybrid, but it really does stand on its own. It's a, it really is its own show. And uh, I mean, I, frankly, I wish we would have gone farther. I wish we wouldn't have introduced phasers in the first episode. I wish there, you know, uh, the, you know, I, I like the idea that I think there. I, I don't remember the episode. You'll have to forgive me. They all the titles all start to blend together, but. Uh, uh, the episode where we use our phasers and we kind of blow the top off this mountain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like moments like that, I think, could have really been a lot more impactful if we hadn't introduced phasers to the crew early on in the shape of hand phasers. Um, you know, things like, boy, why is this the weapon of choice of the Federation for the next 300 years? show me that. And then, you know, it can be kind of a wow moment. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, look, when we started, we had a ship named Enterprise. We had a warp core. We had tricorders. We had communicators. We had Vulcan first officers. We had phasers. Um, I wish we would have kind of stripped a little more of that, those trappings away and, 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 you know, no tricorders. It would have been cool to see, you know, them using, even test tubes on planets and I mean, you know, really finding our ground and, and, uh, and having folding that stuff slowly into the show as seasons went on. But I think the universal translator is a good example of that. We did see that come in fairly slowly and its flaws and just not really being able to interpret yeah, language think, and, and so forth. I think the UT was handled pretty well. I like the fact that Hoshi actually has to figure out languages. And what I do is I remember that the story is being compressed into 42 minutes. So in in my mind, I picture that actually Hoshi's taking a lot more time 
doing this than what we're seeing on the screen. So she's actually being a linguist on the ship. And I like that there are stretches in Enterprise where there is alien dialogue with no subtitles mm-hmm. that goes on and on and on. And you're just watching it and you have no idea what they're saying and they have no idea what they're saying, but but they don't feel the need to try to tell you what they're saying either. It's just like, you're out here with our crew and our crew has no idea what's going on and neither do you. And yeah. I don't know, it feels real. Although we did have a very unique piece of technology in Enterprise, being the decon chamber. <laughs> the sexy guru. <laughs> Even Porthos got a bit of action. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I love, yeah, Porthos has to have a rub down as well. So, Okay, well, let's transition here. This is a good point at which to transition to the final thing we'll talk about today, just some of our favorite aspects of Enterprise. So Kate has already mentioned the decon chamber. <laughs> Kate, what's another one of your favorite things about Enterprise, favorite aspects of Enterprise? I would have to say my absolute favourite thing about Enterprise, and I know it's controversial, but it's the portrayal of the Vulcans. Yeah. I love it. I think it's from my perspective as a fan and and taking, um, bearing in mind that I, I hadn't seen TOS before seeing Enterprise, but I thought it was spot on. I absolutely love it. I, I thought it was it was a wonderful extraction of, of things that I had already seen in the Balkans. And, and it's something that makes Enterprise quite unique, and I love that about it. Well, you, have a, you have a really uh, – I, I never thought of this before, but people who haven't seen the original series first, you have a really unique perspective because I'm interested, what did you think of Spock or Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of Spock on the original series? After seeing, well, mm. let me ask you this first. In Enterprise, did you feel that the Vulcans, that that is kind of the seminal Vulcan, that that is who the Vulcans are? I did after having watched all of the 24th century stuff. I felt it was absolutely spot on. When I went, when I went and watched the original series and I saw Spock, <laughs> it's, it seems really, really strange to say this, I know, but Spock seemed, Spock seemed less Vulcan than the other Vulcans I'd seen in the rest of Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. Because he seemed, he seemed slightly more emotional, um, you know, just just a, a, much more on the human side. You know, I don't know he's half human, but it seemed um, much more present than what I had seen in other Vulcans, yeah. like for example, Tuvok and T'Pol. And well, okay, so for discounting where no man has gone before, where he is what we call Spock Bob shouty pants, where he has to. <laughs> Shout! Have <laughs> you screen on? That was your but, all stations. Exactly. In but, this, I love Spock. It's, you know, I, I adore Spock. But if you continue, I, I think a lot of us remember Spock from the films. We remember Spock from um, Star Trek Four onward. After he has to kind of regain In the bathroom with the whales, right? And. That's what we kind of remember as Spock. But if you go back and you watch the beginning of TOS, especially in the first season, Spock, he smirks a lot. He smiles a lot. He shows a lot of emotion that you don't associate with Vulcans. And then you get to Tuvok, which is just at that point, Vulcans have become robots. You know, Tuvok mm-hmm. has no personality. He's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's too much. It's such a unique perspective because 
I weigh all Vulcans based on Spock. Mm-hmm. And you have the exact opposite take on that's really fascinating to me. Yeah. So fascinating, I guess that was. Um, and now I was just going to say interesting instead, but <laughs> that would have been, <laughs> been just as goofy. Uh, I, I, that's why your eyebrow is arching right now, Dave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a really cool take on it. I I forget that there are people who have not seen the original series, and therefore, to them. Vulcans are something different than than Spock. I think that's really cool. But I come across so many fans that have never seen the original series, you know, and they're still working their way through Star Trek yeah. for the very first time. And so for them to come and watch Enterprise and to think that, you know, that we're going to get something really unique and really dynamic and interesting from the Vulcans in Enterprise, that, that's a really positive thing. Yeah, that's really cool because because then when you see the original series, the struggle Spock faces is very apparent, which mm-hmm. is uh, that's great. I think that's really and it doesn't detract from it at all. You know, I went and watched the original series and it added value to everything else I'd already seen. I didn't come in and think, you know, the Vulcans are any less in the original series because it's the original, you know, and I could could watch it with respect. Um, as opposed to maybe having seen it first and then looked at Enterprise later and thought maybe this isn't up to scratch. You know, it, it just added so much more value coming at it that way for me. That's interesting. Yeah. And I also liked the way the Vulcans were portrayed in Enterprise because if you're going to jump backwards from the 24th century, if you're going to go back 200 years, you expect that societies change. I mean, societies change over the course of decades on mm-hmm. Earth. 200 years, I mean, there has to be some change. Otherwise, it doesn't feel realistic. And I think that's where I didn't really like the way the Klingons were handled in Enterprise because the Klingons in Enterprise are pretty much the Klingons that we had in the next generation, Deep Space Nine. Uh, But the Vulcans, I thought that um, the creative choices were really good. And I understand why they upset a lot of fans and a lot of purists, but... I don't know. As a creative myself, I thought it was a really good move. So I was happy with it. But but Dave, what is one of your favorite things about Enterprise besides the Vulcans and the decon Uh, chamber? (laughs) (laughs) I loved when we did things like we have to use the transporter in an emergency and it's not quite sophisticated enough to discern between the person it's beaming up in it and the environment they're in. And so that guy beams up and he's got like sticks and stones sticking out of him during the windstorm, you know, I loved when we did things like that, where we, uh, where we took technologies we knew and kind of put a different, uh, tarnished spin on them because, because it was all new. I mean, those were some of my, my favorite things about the show. I mean, look, if I, I think a lot more people should have died on Enterprise. Not not the main cast, but I, you know, uh, I think I told you this before. Is Rick used to call me Doctor Death because one one of my notes was always, "This is scary. Space is scary, man." You know, there were times where we, you know, have phaser fights, and you know, it'd be a bunch of people behind a, a row of barrels, and uh, you know, thirty feet away, there's people behind another row of barrels, and you know, we're all kind of pinging each other with 
with guns and nobody right. ever got killed and never no one got hit they all they all learned how to shoot their phasers they were trained by the los angeles <laughs> police department right where <laughs> yeah every time and there's some those, kind of gunfight like they can't hit anything right and all those barrels were made of neutronium so <laughs> phasers couldn't penetrate them uh but uh but th that was my favorite aspect of the show is whenever we took something that was tried and true that everyone kind of took for granted in watching later episodes, but we put that spin on it. This is the first time. And so it's weird and it's not mm -hmm. always going to work the right way. Yeah. I guess my, mine is similar to that. Um, one thing that I love, of course, is the Vulcans, which we already talked about. Another is that sense of unknown, which we touched on a little bit earlier I love episodes like Fight or Flight at the beginning. You know, it, it's not the greatest episode, but I like I like Hoshi in that episode because she's reacting the way I think that we would react in that situation. You know, she doesn't really like being on the spaceship. You know, she's got space sickness and then she turns around and there are aliens hanging upside down in some dark ship with fluid draining out of them. That would be really scary. Yeah. And you know, I know she's a character that's often maligned and people, you know, think that the acting wasn't great or the character wasn't great or all. But I don't know, for me, I, I really liked it. I thought it was very realistic, you know, and, and not just her, but, but Hoshi was one of the characters that I think did the best job of really portraying that fear that you would experience going into the unknown. Well, the other thing that Hoshi does is she reminds us that that. There are, there are characters in the show, and, and Archer is pretty much one of them, who were technical specialists in a different area of work. They weren't people that were trained to go out into deep space exploration. Hoshi was a translator. Right. You know, yeah. Archer was, you know, was he a pilot? You know, was he, was that right? Was he a pilot, I think? Yeah, um, he was a technical. pilot. He was in the NX program. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and he was he was you know being trained as a leader and, and, and so forth, but um he he wasn't being groomed as a captain. You know, he didn't have that same training that people like Picard and Janeway had. So these were people that were the best in their field of technical expertise. And then they were were placed into this brand new environment. No one had ever faced the things that they were gonna face before. And so that particular episode and what Hoshi was experiencing was a great example of what you would have, have expected a lot of them to be going through. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's interesting. In the, in the original script for the pilot, there's when we're taking Clang back to the Klingon homeworld, in the original script, the ship is flying along and all of a sudden the warp engines are yanked offline and we're stopped. And when we do an outside view, we are in a graveyard of spaceships. And we, I think maybe we take a, we take one of the shuttles out, one of the pods out and uh, go to a different ship or something. But we find a survivor. We find one survivor on a ship. And he tells us this story about how this is, uh, this web is run by this alien race and whatever. And we bring him back to the ship and he gains control of the ship and steals Clang, and then the chase is on. And I remember I had a long talk with Rick about it, and, uh, you know, I just threw out, for the hell of it, did you ever see 
Silence of the Lambs? And he, of course, yes. And I said, you know that scene where she's in the house and it's pitch black, but he's got night vision goggles. And there are, there are times when he is literally an inch from her and she can't see it. And it's really terrifying. And at that, you know, I think Rick kind of just kept that in the back of his mind or it tickled him enough that he folded in then, okay, so now you have these Suleban who have these genetic enhancements. So these guys are like, imagine silence of that Silence of the Lambs scene. You're in a ship. It's pitch black. And there are these guys with these genetic mutations who can crawl on ceilings and see in the dark and uh, morph so that they can slide under doorways. And, I mean, you know, and, and so it became this, I think that scene is kind of horrifying for them. You know, it's that first taste of, holy God, this is what is happening out here. Uh, and so anytime we did that stuff, I'm, I'm with you. It's, I think that's that's really cool. That's really fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, they weren't expecting space to be quite as weird or dangerous as as that. And if, if we can portray that, then that's a win for me. So, and it is the Bible. reason I love those first two seasons so much because we get we get a lot of that early space yeah. exploration. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Trip gets pregnant. Who would have expected that? <laughs> what was your favorite season, guys? Oh, that is tough. You know, I just rewatched the entire series over the past. Um, I actually I did it in about four weeks. I watched like seven or eight episodes a day. And I really went through the series quickly. So I, so it's all like really fresh and I could really divide the series up that way. And traditionally, I would say my favorite series, uh, my favorite season of the series is the first season because mm -hmm. of the things that we're talking about right now. And I felt like the writing in the first season was stronger than the writing in the second season. Because about halfway through the second season, I've, I can feel that sometimes I feel like they're grasping for ideas. They start to rehash plots from previous series a bit. And um, and then I was never big on the third season because I felt like the whole Zindi thing was just a ploy by the studio to try to get ratings and, you know, pull people in. That's kind of how I felt about it. But rewatching it straight through very quickly, I kind of came to appreciate the third season quite a bit because as a season of Star Trek, it's kind of strange. But as a season of television... It actually works pretty well, and it's kind of interesting, and it pulls you through. And I just wish that a little more time had been spent on the Sphere Builders and what that was all about, because right. that was a very interesting mystery to me. And then the fourth season I like because I do like the TOS tie-ins, and I like the three-episode arcs that are in there. So it's really hard for me to say, but I would say it probably comes down for me almost a tie between the first and the fourth season, but for completely different reasons. Sure. Yeah. Oh, like the mirror it's... episodes were really fun. When yeah. I was crazy and... about those personally, but I mean, they were fun. Oh, really? Like fanboying. Yeah. I like, I liked them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of the story, like I got to the end and I'm like, okay, so what just happened here? And why did we do this? This is really interesting to me, Chris, because just about everything you've said is, is almost exactly what I would have said. 
I oh, really? loved the first season to death. And yeah. originally I thought I couldn't have easily picked between the first and the second season. But having rewatched it, the first season by far. Because the first I think season has at, much stronger. At the heart of the concept of what it was originally yeah. going to be. Yeah. And I love that concept. I mean, I mean, I know that there were other things that um, the producers wanted to do with the show, um, but but given what it ended up being, um, that that first season was very true to that. Yeah. And the second season, it, it started to feel a little more routine. Um, for a long time, I wasn't a fan of the third season. But in my latest rewatch, I mean, I, I'm I'm much more of a fan of episodic TV. I like to be able to take my TV in bite-sized chunks. Um, and so it, it, it takes a little more effort for me to, to engage in something that's a series-long arc, but there were some great individual episodes within Series 3 as well. And I, and I agree with you, Chris, that I would love to have seen more about the Sphere Builders, that that was the big gap for me as I rewatched mm-hmm. it this time. I thought there was so much more I, I I would like to have seen, and I felt that that was a little bit rushed, and particularly towards the end of the season, there was a lot going on there, um, and, and it missed some of the things that I would have liked to have seen. And then we went into season four, not having seen TOS yet until recently. I could see that it was great quality TV, and I could take it for what it was and, and really enjoy those mini arcs. But by far, the first season was my favourite. Mm. But yeah, season one and season four, as as you have said, for very different reasons. Yeah. Well, what about you, Dave? What's your favorite? Yeah, I think season one. Um, I think season one is my favorite season. Again, I I appreciate season four for what it is. I just it, it just seemed like a I don't know. It seemed like it was a wasted opportunity. Like we could have focused a little more on things that led to the Federation instead of things that led to episodes of the original series. Yeah. I think that I I felt that in the fourth season they were trying, they knew they weren't going to be coming back because, you know, the show was really canceled the year before and then managed to get, I mean, not officially canceled, but that's where it was headed, you know, and everyone kind of got behind it and we got it back for one more season. But you kind of knew, even if it wasn't officially said, that we're not going to get that fifth season. So they were like really trying to cram a lot of stuff into the fourth season, I felt, and a lot of that TOS stuff. And because I think in the fourth season, really, I think Terra Prime and Demons is some of the best writing in that season right at the very end. Because they're, mm-hmm. they're dealing with a real issue. You know, they're dealing with this idea of Earth becoming xenophobic again at a time when mm-hmm. it's supposed to be headed in the other direction. And that's right. very interesting. And it's not depending upon storylines from TOS like you had mentioned before. And for me, someone that hadn't seen TOS, um, and as I said, I'm not alone in that, it felt very much like fan service. Like we're trying to give fans what, what they thought we wanted, and, and a lot of fans did want that. But, yeah, I, and I'm with you, Dave. Yeah. I would much prefer to have seen the build-up to the Federation and, and those really early concepts fleshed out more so than just trying to tie the whole franchise together. And I think that there's a perception out there that 
that season four is what it should always have been, you know, that that, that was the supreme season and that that was, you know, what a real prequel should have been. And, and I just don't agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree to disagree. Yes. I, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's what it should have been either. You know, Manny's a fan. So, you, you know, it comes across in the writing. It comes across in his knowledge of the storylines. Um, and I think he was doing it for, for you know, I mean, it's, or maybe it's stuff that he wanted to see as a fan and stuff he knew that fans wanted to see as fans. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the job. I don't think that's what we should have been focused on. I think we really should have. Uh, but again, you know, we knew it was the last season. I mean, everyone was kind of hoping against hope that it was going to come back, I guess. So I think they, you know, they wanted to have some fun with it and, and, yeah. and give that stuff to the fans uh, who wanted it. But still, I would, I, you know, I wish we would have done a little more uh, exploration of that earlier time. Yeah. But even so, I think it turned out to be, it's it's an interesting show because it goes through transformations from season to season, but it's still a very strong show. I'm really glad that fans are rediscovering it now. Uh, many fans for the first time. I even know fans who are fans of Enterprise, but not really fans of Star Trek otherwise, which I find that very interesting too. So it is, you know, like we said, its own show as well. It's not just Star Trek, which is great. Yeah, but... no, it has. It definitely has its fan base just as the other ones do. I mean, I know people that just love Voyager or love Deep Space Nine or, you know, um, you know, it's interesting. My wife worked for the licensing division. And so one of her jobs was to uh, deal with a lot of the imagery from the shows based on things they were going to use for different product and uh, but and while she read every script that came out because the script went to the licensing group every time we uh, put them out she'd never actually seen Deep Space Nine and last week we started watching them she just kind of blurted out everyone keeps telling me Deep Space Nine is really really good so let's why don't we start watching that so we just started watching we're about halfway through season one and it's really fun watching a series with someone who has never seen it. I mean, it really is, uh, uh, and so it makes, the, the, the moral of the story is it makes me want to, because she didn't watch Enterprise either, uh, so it makes me want to go back and watch those again with her after we watch Deep Space Nine just to see, uh, just to see her reaction from it, because she's not a uh, a fan per se. I mean, she likes good television and uh, and obviously she has a passing knowledge of it from her job and an even deeper appreciation of it because of who she's married to um, you know because my kids are walking around the house with communicators and phasers now um, because <laughs> because of their old man so my wife is kind of along for the ride but it's going to be really fun to, to I'm looking forward to, to sharing that experience with her and and then eventually getting to Enterprise and, and seeing what her take on it is uh, well, from definitely that. go to go back to Enterprise and watch it on Blu-ray because the Blu-rays are really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, really enjoying those. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you taking time out of your morning there to talk to us about Enterprise today, help us kick off our new show. 
No, thank you very much. I'm sorry you guys were up so late. Oh no, it's great. We're always we're always ready to talk about Star Trek. Um, <laughs> before we go, uh, is there anything that you want to tell the listeners about? Anything going on? Would you like to tell people where to find you if they want to chat you up about Star Trek or Superman? Uh, or Superman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I am on Twitter, and it's uh, it means hope. But the I in it is actually a small L. But you can just find me through Dave Rossi, I think. Right. Um, and yeah, I love, uh, you know, I've recently discovered the Twitter. I actually joined because I got a call from a friend of mine at CBS who said, you're never going to believe it, but Rick Berman just signed up for Twitter. And I said, get out of here. And he said, yeah, he said his first tweet was, here I am. Come and get me. I can take it. And I said, "Oh, I've got to sign up for Twitter." <laughs> so, so I signed up to to offer Rick a little moral support, but uh, it turns out he doesn't need it. Everybody's being very nice and and very appreciative of the show. And and looking back, it's a that's a really nice thing. So, so yeah. But I I, uh, I love Twitter because it's a uh, it's a great way to you know I don't do conventions anymore. Uh, I used to love connecting with fans on that level. I used to love going to speak at conventions. But I used to love the after part of it, you know, where you're just kind of walking around and right. getting in conversations with people. And so Twitter is a great, uh, a great way to do that. And uh, and yeah, I'm always up for for tweeting about some Trek or some Superman or comic books or whatever. Excellent. All right. So it means hope. The I is a small L. I remember the story you told me before about how that ended up being. So <laughs> everyone look for that. And we'll we'll put a link in the show notes as well to your Twitter account Great. so people can, can click through. So thanks again for joining us, Dave. Anytime. Thank you guys. So Chris, I've really enjoyed talking to Dave today. Um, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion talking about enterprise and where it's really started from and what each of us has taken from that series. And um, I'm really looking forward to how we progress with this show and what we can contribute to this discussion about enterprise. Yeah, me too. I'm really glad Dave had time to talk to us this morning because it's it's fun to hear what went on behind the scenes. And I found it interesting that I think the three of us had a very similar take on Enterprise and what we wanted out of it, you know, and where it ended up and and uh, just kind of the creative aspects of the show. And And so I'm looking forward to exploring that every week myself. But until then, why don't we tell everyone where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on Enterprise or, you know, anything that we talked about with Dave today. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. If you'd like to send us a voicemail, which would be great, we'd love to hear from you by voice, you can do that from any page on the website. Just look on the right-hand side of any page. You'll see a tab that says Send Voicemail. If you click that, a box will pop up, and you can use your camera mic to record a voice message for us, and you can upload it to us as an MP3 file directly from that box. If you'd like to talk to us and other listeners, you can also drop by our forums at trek.fm slash forums. There's a section there for Enterprise. There's also one for Warp 5. And on Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, you'll always find us on Twitter under username trek.fm. Now, Kate, what if people would like to, you know, talk to you about Minute Work, <laughs> Kylie Minogue, right? Or Star Trek even. Where should they go? 
Well, they can talk to me about any of those things or even Crocodile Dundee if they wish to do that as well. Um, and they can do that via Twitter. My handle is at Kate is great, okay. And yeah, you can talk to me about absolutely anything there, Star Trek, whatever you like. Um, I'm happy to have a chat. Just uh, follow me and I'll follow back. Great. And if you'd like to find me, you'll find me on Twitter also. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And, you know, I'll talk to you about Star Trek or college football or just pretty much anything you want to talk about. Just send me an at reply if you follow and let me know you're there. And you can find me elsewhere on the network every week doing several shows. Uh, I do Literary Treks and The Orb with Matthew Rushing. On Literary Treks, we talk about Star Trek books and comics. And on The Orb, we talk about Deep Space Nine. And you'll find me on The Ready Room, where we talk about all five series, movies, uh, sometimes special topics. It's a really fun and sometimes serious discussion of Star Trek news as well as episodes. And you'll find that at trek.fm slash TRR. And you'll find all of our shows in iTunes, on Stitcher, or on the show page on the website. And also, Kate, before we go, we would like to invite everyone to support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, a blog, portfolio, or even an online store. It's really simple and easy, and it's very inexpensive. And right now, Squarespace invites you to create your own space. Go over to their website at squarespace.com, watch the video, find out how other people are using Squarespace for a really diverse range of tasks and jobs and you know personal interest. And you can sign up and try it all free for 14 days. There is no credit card required. Just give them your name and an email address. They'll set up a site for you. You have access to all the features of Squarespace for 14 days. And then after that, if you'd like to sign up, and I know you will, you can use offer code TREK7 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. So go over to squarespace.com and support our sponsor. And also, if you're looking for a really fun way to engage with other fans, go over to trekfan.org. Now, TrekFan is not just a Star Trek fan club. It's a challenge, and you'll explore new places, you'll learn new things, and you'll collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you're going to win great prizes. Uh, If you go over to trekfan.org, there's a challenge for you on the website right now. If you can solve that, you're going to get in and get more information. Listeners have been telling us some very interesting things about this. So go over trekfan.org, support our sponsor, and that helps us bring this programming to you every week. Well, thanks all for listening to this very first episode of Walk 5, and we'll see you all next week.